Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, March 1st, 2020, we continue our series titled, Live Different, The Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, Pure Heart Giving, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Enjoy. Hey, uh, today it's a great honor again to come. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. As we uh, finished up Matthew 5 last week, Thomas uh, closed on Jesus's words there where he said in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, this is a daunting thing that has just been laid out to us. Um, I will go as far as to say it's an impossibility that left to our own nature, left to ourselves, we have no ability to in fact be perfect. Even if you Began, began being perfect from the time that you accepted Christ and moved forward, you still need something to atone for all that you did in your past. But if you're anything like me, you, in fact, remain a sinner in need of Christ. Today's message will be just overtly Christ, because Jesus is going to lay out, in addition to this undaunting task of perfection, that he's going to look at our intent and our motivation In the previous weeks, we've looked at the actions of not being able to murder physically, but we've also looked at it that you're not allowed to even think it. Jesus segues today into our intent, our conscience, our very motivation. The message in the Sermon on the Mount is about having right relationship. It's about having the right kind of righteousness. You see, it's not our self-righteousness, but it is the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone that makes us holy and blameless, that makes us perfect in the eyes of God the Father. It's about our reward that is in heaven, not our reward that we see or seek here on earth. Jesus is going to lay it all down for us today as we go into this next little mini-series The last mini-series was at the heart of the matter, and we dealt with uh, different aspects of desire. But today, we start with having a pure heart in giving, and in the weeks to come, having a pure heart in prayer, and having a pure heart in fasting. That pure heart is motivation. And today, we'll pierce through this and try to dissect a bit of what does motivation mean and motivation that matters because Jesus is going to examine us all today as he takes us through his word. So let me read for you right here where it says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we pray that we would be right, in right relationship with you, that our righteousness would be your works and your righteousness that we cling to as the hope that we have in the gospel. That the reward that we seek would be that which we find in heaven, to be with you, 
to hear your words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Help us, Lord, now in your word to grow in your grace and in the knowledge of your son. It's in his name that we pray, amen. An old story, a fictional story. There was once a young boy and he was a prodigy. And this prodigy uh, could play the piano like no one had ever seen. He was a classical pianist. And his family decided that they were gonna hire the best coach that they could find. And this coach came alongside this boy and trained him for years and years and years. Until one day the family said, is he ready? To which the coach said, yes. So the family booked Carnegie Hall. They invited all their friends and family and everyone that they could find to come see their young boy, a classic pianist, to deliver beautiful music. And on that day, they filled the entire arena. They filled every seat. And as the boy began to play, you could see the emotion and everyone caught up in the beauty and the loveliness of the music that was coming from his piano. And at the end of the song, the crowd stood up in a roar, a standing ovation, to which the boy looked at the audience. And as he looked, he began to weep. And as he wept, he ran off the stage. The stagehand said to him, where are you going? They love you. To which the boy responded, not all of them love me. He says, no, you're you're crazy. They all love you. Look at them. It's a standing ovation. They want more. They want more. And the boy, of course, says, they do not all love me. They do not all want more. So the stagehand looks out, and he's looking at the curtain. He says, okay, everyone loves you except for one guy. One guy who's sitting down there near the front in the middle. That one guy is the only person who's not clapping. To which the boy responded, You don't understand, that one guy is my coach, for I play to an audience of one. If you take anything away today from the message, know that in your giving, in your prayer, in your fasting, you and I as Christians play to an audience of one. That's the person, it is the person of Jesus Christ that we live our lives for. It is to his glory and his glory alone. The subtlety of this is so important because the fear that comes when we get to Matthew 7, when Jesus himself says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, you who practices lawlessness. Don't miss this subtlety today because the subtlety goes to motivation. And if the motivation when you stand before Jesus Christ is that we did all these works, then I fear that you will hear the words, depart from me, you who practices lawlessness. It's critical that we understand that we play to an audience of one, and that one is the author and the perfecter of our faith. J.B. Phillips in the 20th century translated the Bible into a colloquial English. In fact, he took Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and he says it this way. 
He says, beware of doing your good deeds conspicuously to catch men's eye, or you will miss the reward of your heavenly Father. So when you do good to other people, don't hire a trumpeter to go in front of you, like those play actors in the synagogues and streets who make sure that men admire them. Believe me, they have had all the reward they are going to get. No, when you give to charity, don't even let your left hand know what the right hand is doing so that your giving may be secret. Your father who knows all secrets will reward you. Today our secrets, our intent, our motivation is under a microscope. The continuity between chapters five and six is certainly that the theme of unity. Jesus is teaching us about life in the kingdom of God. There is of course a progression of thought to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a bunch of isolated issues or isolated elements. Instead, Jesus builds on what has gone before and expanding on those in his thought and his message. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus uses illustrations and applications meant to open up the listener's conscience and help us realize our true spiritual condition before God. And our true spiritual condition before God is that we are poor in spirit and we are dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ and by Christ alone. Not only in our salvation, but also in in fact in our sanctification. Just as it is justification by grace through faith alone, it is sanctification by grace through faith alone. In chapter six, with righteousness being the central principle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to point his arguments highlighting the distorted teaching of the Mosaic law uh, by the Pharisees which is resulting in lives that are far from the heart of God. Later, Jesus is gonna say in Matthew 23, 27, he's gonna say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. It's fearful to have a life that looks beautiful on the outside, but the intent and the motivation on the inside is entirely corrupt and unclean. We know that in the Old Testament, even our good deeds are as filthy rags. If in fact our good deeds are done solely by ourselves and not dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ, then they are filthy. In fact, those belonging to the kingdom of God have the heart of God and a righteousness that is of action, thought, and motive. Jesus has just spent these last several weeks as we've worked through this, talking about our outward actions, talking about how we think, and now he's talking about how we're motivated or compelled. And that it's important that this action, thought, and motive exceed the scribes and the Pharisees in righteousness. Whereas Jesus has previously exposed their hypocrisy in the areas of anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving their enemies. It's in this chapter he moves to condemn specific religious acts of piety, arrogance, or hubris, 
done in order to be seen by others. Three of those acts will include almsgiving or giving to the poor or praying and fasting over the next couple weeks. This passage in Matthew 6, 1 through 4 concerns giving. Jesus will give a very stern warning so that others will see you living differently. But we can't forget that motivation actually matters. As we self-examine our own hearts with Jesus' words, my first point is this, is to observe the warning. The warning. Matthew 6, 1 says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus illuminates the contrast between the hypocrite's religion, which seeks men's attention, and praise of the Christian's religion, which seeks only God's approval. The admonition is, in essence, not to practice your piety or make a show or a performance of your religious acts. No parading it before others and making a vain exhibition of it. There's no contradiction between what Jesus is teaching here and what he previously spoke and what I preached on about Matthew 16, 516, which says, let your light shine before others. You see, the light that shines before others was Jesus addressing man's cowardice or his reluctance to be identified as a Christian in public. And this passage, which addresses man's vanity or pride about what you do in secret. A.B. Bruce said this, he says, we are to show when tempted to hide, and we are to hide when tempted to show. Our good works must be public and displayed so that our light shines, but our religious devotions must be secret lest we boast about them. So yes, a Christian acts are to be seen by men, but he does not act to be seen by men. Matthew 6, 2, when he says, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The word hypocrite here actually literally means mask wearer. Hypocrites, of course, were actors in the Greek theater who wore masks that were exaggerated in form with huge smiles or huge frowns so that even the people in the back row could see uh, what kind of emotion was being portrayed. It's where we in fact get the word or the term two-faced is from the same idea. The scribes and the Pharisees were rebuked because unlike the stage actor whose audience knows it's a show and a performing act, the hypocrite is deceiving his audience, distorting a religious practice into something it was never intended to be. We are never called to be fake or to play our life for the applause of men. Jesus is emphatic in saying to not be like the hypocrites when doing religious practices such as giving. We start to ask the question, how did the hypocrites in fact give? 
Originally, there was an area at the side of the temple courtyard called the Chamber of the Secret. People would go there to drop off gifts that were designated to the poor in a large chest called the trumpet. Later, the poor would come to the Chamber of the Secret and receive gifts from the trumpet. It was all done very discreetly with humility and honesty. But as the years went on, to give alms to the poor, right? So instead, here's what happened. They tied, the Pharisees tied a small brass or silver trumpet on their belts. Then whenever they wanted to give to the poor, they stood on a street corner and blew their trumpets. And upon hearing this, the poor people in the area would gather around the generous Pharisees as he distributed his alms with great flourish. While everyone around said, my, look how righteous he is. Because the synagogues provided charity, there was to be a sense of anonymity, both for the giver and the recipient. The ostentation Jesus is condemning is not the giving, but the public proclamation of it, and specifically the amount. One of the things that we do here at Highlands is we have these envelope, these boxes in the back. We don't call for a giving for you to drop things into a plate when it's for this body and for the church. We have those back there because it allows you a discreet way of just dropping it and it doesn't have this loud clanking sound to draw attention to you. You see, the blessings that were promised to those who were generous in aiding the poor, like in Proverbs 14.21 or Proverbs 19.17, are from gleanings from vineyards and orchards and fields. This idea developed over time and was encouraged that almsgiving would in fact could atone for the giver's sins. So to Jesus' audience, the word righteous was very closely linked to giving. We, of course, know that your giving is not what determines your salvation, but Christ and Christ alone. Jesus then turns to rhetoric speak. He uses persuasive language of a man who hires a trumpeter to announce or call attention to his act of righteousness. His righteousness in giving to the needy or the poor or some other cause. Today, we might think of uh, in terms of a press conference or a presentation of a large cardboard check revealing the amount of the donation. Or maybe it's one of our many people who think that taking a selfie of themselves and saying, look at me, I'm serving the poor today, is somehow drawing attention to Christ. But Jesus says this is not a gift in the sight of God. He says it's a purchase. The man is not helping the poor half as much as he is using the poor to help himself. I draw a blank on the name, but I was down at the Barrows Institute waiting for a friend to come out of surgery. And as you're waiting for time for someone to come out, I noticed that the wing was named after a person as I looked at it, I'm like, ah, well, I got nothing to do. So I Googled the name. As I'm reading the history and the story of this person that this entire wing is named after, he's a mobster. 
He owned all the rights for liquor distribution here in Arizona, and he was wanted for murder, but they could never quite pin it on him. I'm pretty sure that he was making a purchase indeed to have his name on that building. And I speak because he's passed on, so I don't think he's going to have me killed for saying so. (laughs) Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other is the very posture of hypocrisy. When Jesus speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees in John 5, 44, he said this, you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. He'll teach later in John 12, uh, 43, he says, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. I don't know about you, but for me, I don't really care what other people think about me because you need to play your life to an audience of one. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, the only reason for pleasing men around us is that we may please ourselves. So they will think better of us. And I know this is difficult. It's difficult for people who suffer from the idol of approval, people pleasers, wanting to make sure that other people see them as holy and righteous. And there becomes this subtle nuance between letting your light shine and drawing attention to look at me. Remember, the light that shines is a reflection of the Son of God. We can manufacture no light within ourselves. We can only reflect the beauty and the loveliness of Christ. It leads us to this position of understanding that there is in fact a reward. The technical term for the word reward here is the transaction. It means the receiving of a sum in full and give a receipt for it. So the hypocrites who seek applause will get it, but nothing further is due to them. Nothing but judgment on the last day. These hypocrites were turning what was to be God-glorifying act of mercy into an act of vanity whose real motive was not to help the poor, but to congratulate themselves. You see, it leads us to our next point, the intent. Matthew 6, 3 through 4 describes the intent. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The Christian is to give generously in secret. The right hand was taught to be the greater, more prestigious hand. Here the left hand is not clapping in applause at the right hand's giving. It would just make noise, nothing. The word picture that's drawn here, the left not knowing what the right does is secrecy. It's hidden even to oneself. We're not to be self-conscious when we give because self-consciousness can very easily become self-righteousness. This is so subtle. It's so subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that is 
possible to take a deliberate step to keep our giving secret from men while simultaneously dwelling on it in our minds in a spirit of self-congratulation. Think of little Jack Horner and his declaration, what a good boy am I. Oh, how the subtlety of this can so easily creep in. You see, with no announcement to ourselves or to others, our love for God and others is to be great that we don't keep a record of what we give, knowing that God is the one who keeps the record. We are charged to give and then actually forget. We give simply to see the need relieved. The need to be relieved of the hungry to be fed, the naked to be clothed, the oppressed to be freed, and the saved or the lost to be saved. The reward that he's referring to here is from God the Father. It will not necessarily be a public reward or tangible or even earthly. And certainly there will be no reward from God for those who seek it from humanity. Matthew 25, 23 is the words that we long to hear when it says, his master said to him, the coach said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. I can think of no greater reward than to be faithful to what God has called us, faithful to elevate God, faithful to put the light upon Christ, not upon myself. So what does this look like? Sometimes, in fact, the only way we can help others is, in fact, in front of other people. And in keeping with the perfect righteousness that Jesus has described in Matthew 5, right? You must be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. This is not focusing simply on the outward act done, but the inward intent. Just as under the old covenant, Right In Deuteronomy 15, 11, it says, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. You see, Jesus assumes we will give to the poor, and this must be done with reward that is kingdom-focused, not from people. I think oftentimes we really struggle with this. For the last 30 years, I have hosted houseboat ministries on, on three different lakes. For the last three years, Highlands has been going to Lake Powell. And what has never ceased to amaze me over 30 years is how many gracious people there are. People that come to me and say, you can use my truck, you can use my van, you can use this, you can use that, you can even take my family, you can use them, they'll help you with everything. But when it comes to their boat, they look at you and say, oh, but not the boat. <laughs> you see, the boat belongs to Jesus too. And if you have a championship ski boat, then you need to talk to Doug Farrington because they need you and your boat on June 1st through the 5th. <laughs> Just a shameless plug, I'm sorry. But it leads us to the application, this takeaway. What do we go home with? How do I apply this to my everyday life? The application, number one, do not neglect to share. You see, everything that we have is entrusted to us by God. And nothing, in fact, 
is ours. I think oftentimes this is evidenced by the fact that there is no U-Haul behind your hurts when we do your funeral. Nothing goes with you. Everything was entrusted to you so that you would be responsible to point these efforts to the God who gave it to you in the first place. We are merely stewards. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, when we trust God, God is most pleased in us. Point two, our stewardship brings heavenly rewards. Not in some sort of health, wealth, prosperity gospel, but heavenly rewards. If a believer gives in poverty of spirit as God leads him or her, he or she will receive heavenly rewards from God. If a believer gives to please men, he will have rewards from men and not from God. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Jesus gets to this in a couple weeks for us, but he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your intent is a treasure in heaven. And I would beg to say that the treasure is Christ himself, where you will spend all eternity walking in harmonious relationship with him. What a prize. The creator of the universe and you and me having a close, intimate, and personal relationship. A right relationship with the right kind of righteousness is the right kind of reward. Number three, do not be weary in well-doing. It can become exhausting out there with the demand and the need and the burden for the poor, for the lost. There's always going to be one more cause for an offering. But let us give to it as we are best able with cheer and not compelled by mankind. One of the things that's on your, on your connect card and on your offering card in the pews there is 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written, he has distributed freely. Do you realize how much God has distributed freely to us? He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. If you're feeling compelled to make an offering to this church or any church or any other charity for that matter, because you think that it will glorify you or make mankind celebrate you, then I ask you to keep your money. If you want a building named after you on this Highlands campus, keep your money. If you want to give cheerfully to the glory of Jesus Christ, then give freely. 
but your intent, your motivation, will always be under examination. And if we give, point four is that we give sacrificially. That we give sacrificially. You see, there's a difference between the person who writes a large check and the widow and her mites. For the widow and her mites, she gave everything she had. For many of us, we give out of abundance. I would encourage you to give sacrificially, if not here, to somewhere, to show people the light of Jesus Christ, to save souls, to feed the hungry, to clothe the oppressed. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 through 11 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finishing, doing it well, so that your readiness is in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. You're the steward. Give sacrificially. You see, real sacrificial giving is born solely out of the Christian gospel. If you are concerned about your giving, as we all should be as a Christian, then begin by yielding yourself to the Lord, his mastery, his lordship. Seek out spiritual causes and ask the Lord to lead you in his own pattern of giving. Be that person who walks into a place and asks them, what do you need? You walk into a charity that is helping people in an alternatives pregnancy center Walk in and ask them, what do you need? Chances are they're going to look at you and say, I need, I need a sonogram machine because 41% of women who see their child decide not to terminate that child. And maybe for some of you, you have the ability to come up with $40,000 for that. But give and give in secret to the glory of Jesus Christ if he so compels you to do so. But fifthly, Know this for certain. Righteousness, righteous giving is compelled by faith alone. It's compelled by faith alone. It's important for us to understand. Faith is in fact a gift from God. He gave you this gift so that you could respond to the Holy Spirit indwelling in you to do that which is right compelled by God himself. Paul, in fact, says in Romans 14, 23, kind of the part B part, he says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you're being compelled by something other than your faith and your trust and your dependence in the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then don't do it. But if you're compelled by Christ and Christ alone, then act in faith and obedience the calling that he's putting upon your conscience. Faith is created and it is sustained by Christ alone. That's the greatest news I've ever heard. Because if it was left to me, I would probably choose sin every single time. In fact, Augustine said, I cannot not sin. 
You see, if I didn't have the faith, the gift of God within me, the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, I would be compelled to no good works. I would only be compelled to self-righteousness. And a giant look at me. The good news that we have comes that Christ offered himself for all one single time. Hebrews 10, 12, Thomas touched on this last week. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God where he is making intercession for you and for me at this moment, 24-7. His spirit is working in you and compelling you to do that which he has called you to do. Reflect Jesus Christ. Give in secret with sacrifice Give as you have been entrusted all his stuff. Give and give freely. Because in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you realize that every time we do anything, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Your secret is being revealed to God the Father, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. If he's the founder and he's the perfecter, what's your job? Trust in him. You see, you don't produce anything. I don't produce any value. But the Holy Spirit in me that compels me to live a life for Christ that if I was left to my own, I would never do. Thanks be to God that such great news is here for he is the founder and he is the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is where now? Seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where he's making intercession as, in fact, our lawyer, who is declaring us not guilty because of his works, because of his righteousness. The founder and the perfecter of our faith is, in fact, our audience of one. He's our audience of one. He tells us in Matthew 25, 40, and the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus wants you to do it as if you're doing it unto him for his glory. Augustine said in the fourth century, he said, the praise of others need not even be sought by one who acts rightly. If you're acting rightly, you don't need the praise of people. Just the glory to be pointed upon him. You see, keeping track of our giving is not inconsistent with the Lord's admonition. That we do not let, the right, let our right hand know what the left hand is doing. Yet we are not to keep track so that we may show others just how good we are. As you give your money to the church, to the poor, ask yourself if you desire the praise of men more than the glory of God. You see, no matter what we give, when we give, we crown him the king of glory. 
For what you give is actually his in the first place. So when we go about our life, live and give God's gifts as if you're giving it to the audience of one. For as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, Christ said. As we pray and the band comes back out here, I pray that our hearts would be right before God, that we would examine our intent, our motivations, and know that Jesus Christ is Lord and everything we have is his. Our Father and our God, Lord, thank you so much for your word, for your truth. Thank you for telling us these things, that our motivation matters, that your glory is had when we most trust you, that you are pleased in us when we just follow your words. Help us, Lord, to live our life and the glory to you as our audience of one. It is in God's grace that we wish to grow and greater knowledge of your son. Amen. To God be the glory, amen? When we live our lives and we practice it to an audience of one, the rest is just noise. To Jesus Christ be the glory forever and ever, amen. That's our purpose. If you're in need of prayer today, come and see one of our prayer warriors. Come see me, come see any one of our pastors, anyone on this stage, just let us pray with you put our trust and our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. But may this week be a week that we see our motivations only wanting to please the one true God to his glory. I love you guys. We'll see you all next week.